Chapter Eight of The Man Who Ended War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Man Who Ended War by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Eight. A fierce and sudden gust, which swelled to greater fury the flood of a howling gale, slammed the smoking-room door in my face, at the very moment that a quivering, throbbing heave from the great screw shook the mighty liner from stem to stern. Beaten back from the wall, as the ship rolled heavily, I pitched headlong and went sliding and tumbling across the deck, clutching wildly at its edge for the netting of the rail. There, huddled against the side, I gasped until breath came, and then painfully traversed the wet and slippery deck on hands and knees. With a sudden effort, I caught at the big brass handle, turned it, and sprang within, accompanied by a drenching spray. No contrast could have been greater than the sudden change from the wild drift of bitter wind and rain without to the bright warmth and quiet comfort of the smoking-room within. The habitués who commonly filled the alcoves and the centre were mainly absent, chained to their berths for the gale which had lasted a full two days had swept from the room all but two quartets of bridge players a placid britisher in full dress in the centre who was solacing himself with his invariable evening's occupation of scotch and soda and tom alone in a corner alcove his back against the wall his feet sprawling along the cushions and his pipe firmly clenched between his teeth as I pushed my way by the square centre table of the alcove, and sat down on the opposite cushions, he looked up, a thoughtful frown wrinkling his forehead. "'I've been thinking about our next move,' he began, only to break off abruptly. "'What on earth is the matter with you? You look as if you'd been shipwrecked.' "'This is merely the result,' I answered, of a perilous trip outside the smoking-room door for the purpose of taking a weather observation as a matter of fact you're responsible for it i was driven to the act by your loquacity we came up here at half-past seven and you've spoken exactly three times since each time to give an order i really had to do something desperate to attract your attention you did it said tom decisively hurt in any way oh no i answered slight bruises really nothing of any consequence at all Turned by the incident from his preoccupation, Tom rose, stretched himself thoroughly, and bent to peer out of the rain-swept porthole. "'This certainly is a nasty night,' he said, as he resumed his original position. "'She is rolling and pitching at a great rate. If it does not quit soon, this gale will send many a good ship to the bottom. We're safe enough here, but this weather must be pretty hard on the small boats.' As Tom refilled his pipe, I sat musing on the images his words had roused of the strange and sudden plunge of a mighty ship down, down to the very depths of the sea, of that wonderful world that lies below the waves, upon whose sandy floor lie many navies, whose gallant ships rest in their last anchorage, whose thousands of rugged sailors are buried in their last sleep, whose burdened, hoarded wealth is kept forever idle by that great miser, the deep. As I mused, I spoke unconsciously. I wonder how this storm would seem on the bottom of the sea. Quiet enough there, I presume, answered Tom, following to my surprise my spoken thought. You know, men who sought for sunken treasure ships have found things quite unmoved, after centuries have rolled away. Save for the covering of sand or silt, the boat which reaches the bottom may leave its bones for centuries unchanged. My mind travelled a step farther from normal shipwrecks to abnormal ones, 
and then turned swiftly to those catastrophes which were never far from my mind the beginning and in one sense the end of our mission the battleships which disappeared if dorothy's belief is correct and the engines of destruction used by the man affect metal only then i suppose the crews of the alaska and the rest went to the bottom undoubtedly answered tom laconically one by one as in a naval review the alaska the dreadnought number eight la patrie number three the kaiserin louisa and the kaiser charlemagne imaged themselves upon the tablets of my brain and with the last appeared a film of portsmouth harbor where the great engine of war anchored for the last time i straightened up suddenly and leaned across to tom who now sat gazing peacefully at space tom i exclaimed quietly but earnestly i can tell you the next move we'll send down to the bottom of the sea and find out what record remains there of the work done by the man quick as a flash tom was all attention by george he ejaculated lowering his voice an instant later as he saw that his exclamation had startled the bridge players opposite i believe that is the scheme it ought not to take us very long and we might get a bully clue from it how shall we go about it swiftly i unfolded my plan the ideas rushing in upon me as i proceeded we land at southampton anyway and it's only an hour's run down southampton water to portsmouth we won't go up to london at all we'll go straight to portsmouth and put up there then we'll find out just where the kaiser charlemagne or the kaiserin louisa stood and get some divers to go down and report that's a great idea said tom reflectively it resolves itself really into two parts finding out just exactly where one of the german ships stood and getting down to the bottom there it ought not to be so very difficult i wonder nobody has thought of it but if they had i imagine we should have heard of it because the wireless newspaper on board is giving news of that kind pretty well in full i'll tell you one thing though he went on i wish dorothy could have been with us instead of having to wait over a couple of boats to straighten out that boys club business of hers i'd like mighty well to get her opinion same here i remarked forcefully two days later saw us safely through the english customs and rolling along over the little line which runs past old clausentrum relic of the days when rome with bloody hand made peace in britain to portsmouth and its harbour with the isle of wight forming the foreground to the broad blue reaches of the channel no greater hum of business could have been found all britain over than in this seaport town jackies hurried to and fro with orders marines marched in companies to the wharves officers and service dress scurried by in motor-cars tommies for once moved swiftly even without a sidelong glance at the red-cheeked nurses in the park everything gave the impression of activity of preparation pushed to the last degree of haste whatever the prospects of war might be portsmouth was as busy as if war were on though we reached portsmouth at noon it was more than two o'clock before we could secure rooms every hotel was crowded scarcely could we get a word from the busy clerks and at last we were driven to lodgings throwing ourselves on the mercy of a cabman we wandered up and down thoroughly thankful when we obtained some clean decent rooms in a little house in the portsea region somewhat to our surprise our quest proved difficult we drove to the dockyard no admittance without special orders from the admiralty stared us in the face an order made yet more effective by the gruff silence of the sentinels we tried the harbor authorities and the town hall both had been turned into governmental bureaus and both refused admittance on any terms vainly i pleaded my connection with the press that move only increased the suspicious reserve which surrounded us vainly we tried the soothing effect of the golden sovereign 
we were rebuffed at every turn till forced to temporary inaction we gloomily turned back toward our lodgings there's nothing doing so far as the authorities are concerned remarked tom as we walked along we've got to try some other tack if we could only find somebody here in town who wasn't an official and yet who would know where either of those ships stood none of the dealers in the ship's stores would know because the german boats would have received their stores at the wharf by jove though here's an idea he brightened up if by any lucky chance they took on fuel here we might get some light on the place from the coal man here's a chemist's shop let's look up in a directory we entered and ran rapidly over the names of dealers in the business directory that was handed us dealer after dealer whose name appeared therein sold goods that belonged with the sea ship chandlery plumbing for yachts and vessels caulkers sailmakers ah here it was fuel supplied to vessels there were some fifteen names on the list i copied them off and turned to the young man behind the counter which of this list i asked would be entirely capable of coaling a large merchantman immediately the clerk ran his eye down the list this and this and this firm he answered briefly pointing at three the office before which we finally stopped looked peculiarly businesslike as we reconnoitred through its broad window hm, looks just like home murmured tom as we gazed at the smart young man in dapper tweeds dictating to a stenographer whose pompadour though like a single tree in a forest had it been on lower broadway yet seemed a rare exotic in this english seaport town the remington machine at one side the brightness of the office furniture and the whole atmosphere in short was a stage picture a sudden revival of the world we had left less than a week ago he is exclaimed tom without the slightest apparent connection see that life insurance calendar on the wall a flaming big-lettered american calendar appeared at the end of his pointing finger may as well play it boldly anyway murmured tom pushing open the door pardon me he said as he entered we're americans and want to know something about coal our dapper friend from behind the desk was on his feet in a moment stepping towards me with outstretched hand mr orrington i'm proud to see you here i looked at him in complete surprise while tom looked on in equal amaze the stenographer sitting behind her keys raised one hand to pat her hair and stared in undisguised and interested wonder i'm afraid you have the advantage of me i remarked hey that's not surprising answered the young man with a smile you never saw me before but look here i followed blindly around his desk and waited while he pulled open a drawer at the side exhibit number one he remarked as he took out an american illustrated weekly bearing an imprint of my features it had appeared just after my second signed story came out oh i remarked briefly and lucidly exhibit number two our friend went on bringing to my astonished gaze a file of my own paper whereupon my own story showed their large familiar headlines at the top that's what it is to be famous said a laughing voice over my shoulder now i could travel the world over and never find anybody to recognize me then it's up to me to bring you into the limelight i said recovering this is professor haldane mr thompson at your service supplied the manager from new york sent over here to take charge of this in two years ago likewise a sincere admirer of your work now what can i do for you i glanced at the stenographer meaningly say anything you please it will go no further gentlemen let me introduce mrs thompson we rose and bowed we were both in the same office there explained the manager and when they gave me this berth we decided to come together i am over here on business i began still after the man who is trying to stop all war interrupted thompson 
yes i answered what we want now is to find out just where the kaiser charlemagne or the kaiserine louisa went down if we can find that we shall get divers and go down to the bottom as we could get no news of any of the government offices we thought we would try to find some dealer here who might have supplied either of the boats with coal hit the first time trying said thompson with a smile the kaiser charlemagne took on no liquid here but the kaiserine louisa took a thousand barrels the day before she sunk tom let out a long whistle that's one reason why the kaiserine louisa the alaska and the rest went down without a sound extraordinary that i never thought of that before they all burn hydrocarbons instead of coal and the new hydrocarbon fuels would disappear in the water not a modern warship left today which doesn't burn liquid fuel and most of it's ours said thompson enthusiastically they had to come to it especially when we put out our new boiler attachment by which they could change their furnaces over to use liquids without changing any other part of the machinery tom nodded appreciatively i see he said now as to the main question how can we find out just where the kaiserine louisa went down thompson turned to his wife lulu will you telephone and see if captain mcpherson is at the wharf if he is have them send him here at once a moment's low conversation in the telephone booth and mrs thompson returned he'll come right up she said and turning to her machine was soon pounding away at the keys with a practised hand remarkable woman my wife said thompson swelling with intense pride behind the shelter of his roll-top desk took a medal for speed in an open competition smart as they make em in any deal never lets family relationships stand in the way of business b f t s i call her business from the start he would have gone on but the door opened and a huge grizzled sailor with an officer's cap in his hand lumped in his massive bulk loomed above us for a moment as thompson motioned him to a chair you put the liquid on board the kaiserine louisa the day before she disappeared didn't you asked thompson aye sir came the deep answer from the depths of the captain's chest can you tell us just where she lay the manager went on captain mcpherson stirred uneasily as he looked at us i've heard said we were to say naught of that unfortunate ship he rumbled turning half round to regard us with a fixed stare that's all right captain said thompson these gentlemen have been sent here to investigate the matter and you are to tell them all you know the captain evidently felt misgivings but the habit of obeying the orders of his superiors was not lightly to be broken if you go straight out from the castle till the royal yards boy in line with three chimneys to get her on the shore you'll have the spot where she lay when we're alongside thank you captain that's all said thompson whereupon captain mcpherson rose and lumbered off as heavily as he had come i've seen the castle i remarked but how on earth can i find the royal george boy and what is that queer thing that said thompson that's where the royal george went down with all on board a hundred and thirty years or so ago now the kaiserine louisa disappears in the same place it's a red boy right off smithsea you can't miss it right said tom so far so good now you haven't a couple of divers in your desk drawer have you thompson laughed sure thing he said at least i can send you to one joe miggs who has done more or less work for us there's the address he said writing it on a card come and see us before you go exultantly we left the office looking back through the window to see our compatriot waving farewell while his wife patting her pompadour with one hand fluttered her handkerchief with the other by dock and arsenal through sounds of clanging furnaces and roar of forges we passed to the street we sought and to the house a house of mark which bore proudly upon its front a life-size picture of a diver completely apparisoned with the words j miggs diver 
in very small letters below the low dark door gave entrance to a small shop where a man whistling cheerfully was using his small soldering tool on a diver's helmet assisted by a boy clad in a ticking apron the man was j miggs our friend thompson's card brought a sudden stop to the cheerful whistle and it was with a somewhat troubled face that j miggs rose sending his young assistant from the room the boy out he locked both doors to the shop carefully and returned to us mr thompson says that you want a diver said miggs in a low voice i'd do anything i could for mr thompson many's the good job he's got for me but i can't i absolutely can't we've been forbidden to take any jobs at all notice was served on every diver in town and me and my partner can't risk it what's your regular rate for going down here in the harbour asked tom two pounds a day sir for each of us four pounds for the two if me and my partner work together i'll give you ten pounds apiece for one night's work said tom the man wavered i've no money for a fortnight sir and i'd like to do it but i dare not the officers would put me out of business and i've got to support my family tom persisted i'll give you ten pounds for your family and ten pounds more when you go down j miggs took thought hesitated wavered and at length capitulated i'll do it sir he said if you'll do one thing if they take my divin' rig away will you agree to pay for a new one i will said tom and i'll leave the price of it with mr thompson to-night his last scruples vanished and j miggs was ours we've got two suits over at braden harbour on the isle of wight where we were workin if you tell me your place we'll meet you to-night where you're stayin take you across in the motor-boat get the suits and get back in time to have five or six hours to work wherever you say but it must be to-night to-night's the last night without a moan leaving j miggs our address we went back to our lodgings by way of south sea castle and the piers to take a preliminary observation of the boy of the royal jarge we had swallowed a hasty supper laid in a good store of clothing for the chill of night on the water and were waiting patiently for the call when there was a knock at the door as it opened there entered not j miggs but his small boy helper whom we had seen earlier miggs been jugged he cried breathlessly he and joe hines the bobby's come and took him an hour ago he told me when he saw him coming to run tell you End of chapter eight